Well, we made it to Friday the 22nd of May. Uh, welcome to Ainsley News. Today we're talking where to from here, deflation, inflation and default. Uh, on Wednesday, we wrote on the ways that governments can deal with the surging amounts of debt being accumulated, ironically, saving the economy through fiscal stimulus. We talked of the three traditional means of strong growth repayment, inflation and default. Casey Research put out an article yesterday talking to this same topic and added a fourth yet farcical option and putting forward a different application of the default option. Let's hear their view and then discuss it a little bit. Earlier this month, Ken Rogoff proposed the Federal Reserve adopt adopt deeply negative interest rates, maybe negative 5%. Who is Ken Rogoff and why is this an important signpost? As we've pointed out many times, we are in the final stages of the greatest financial experiment the world has ever seen. A bankrupt government is trying to prop up a collapsing debt bubble using the central bank's money printer. Ken Rogoff is a prominent Harvard economist and former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund. He's authored several controversial publications, including The Curse of Cash, a step-by-step guide to eliminating cash from the economy, and this time it's different, a study of government debt crisis and their resolutions, going back 200 years. Now he's calling for deeply negative interest rates in a paper titled The Case for Deeply Negative Interest Rates. This is interesting because it demonstrates how deeply broken the financial system is. Here's what we mean. Only four ways out for the government. As you know, the US government is in deep debt, 25 trillion 25 trillion and counting. Now, there are several ways a government typically reduces its debt burden. First, by growing its way out. If the economy grows faster than the debt pile, over time the debt becomes less of a burden. The US grew its way out of its heavy World War II debt with strong economic growth through the late 40s, 50s and early 60s. Second, by inflating away the debt. Inflation erodes the debt burden because the government gets to repay its debts in watered down dollars that aren't as valuable as the dollars it borrowed in the first place. It's effectively a default on the debt, but a very subtle one. The inflation of the 70s is an example. It reduced the government's debt burden after it borrowed heavily to finance the Vietnam War. A third way the government can reduce its debt burden is through austerity. In other words, by raising taxes and cutting government spending. This is unpopular politically. So in the government's current situation, a combination of option one, growing its way out, and option two, inflating the debt away, would be ideal. Then compounding do its work for 20 years and the problem will be solved. But unfortunately for the US Treasury right now, there is no inflation and there is no economic growth. The fourth and only remaining way out is default. That's when the government simply says, we cannot pay. Rogoff's suggestion is a subtle variant of this last option. Deeply negative interest rates, say of negative 5%, are a form of default on 5% of the government debt each year. The problem is, while mathematically deeply negative interest rates could reduce the debt burden each year, no one knows what the unintended consequences would be for the dollar if we had a negative interest rate. But here's what we think. That a prominent Harvard economist is calling for deeply negative interest rates implies the system must be thoroughly broken, and we don't want any part of it. So I'm sitting on the sidelines in gold, waiting to see which of the various methods above the government chooses to reduce its debt burden and disappoint its creditors. Fed Chair Powell maintains that they are not looking to go negative, while also calling this as possibly the worst economic crisis in our lifetimes. However, as we discussed last week, last week, the choice may be removed, and when we have deflation and positive real rates, zero rates, less negative inflation, puts real rates positive at a time when they desperately need to be low or negative. In other words, the market may force the Fed's hand.
an inconceivable phenomenon of the world's reserve currency bonds yielding negative. Whilst this has become the norm for euro and Japanese bonds for some time now, this week the UK joined the negative yield party with the three-year gilt auction seeing GBP, 3.7 billion of negative yielding bonds sold. That may not be a surprise after Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey forecasting a couple of weeks ago that the coronavirus will push the UK economy into its deepest recession in 300 years, with output plunging almost 30% in the first half of the year. On its way to deflation, the UK's CPI just crashed from an already low 1.5% to just 0.8% in a month. The case for deflation keeps mounting for the US as well. Last night, we saw yet another 2.44 million Americans for unemployment benefits, taking the total to 38.6 newly unemployed in just nine weeks. For perspective, that is now almost double all the jobs created in the last decade and takes the stickier continuing jobless claims to its highest level ever. So shown in this charts here, continuing jobless claims. And then also showing all on a net basis of all NFP employees that looks like this from the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the US. That's a pretty steep curve at the end there. We've also seen the US government's own Congressional Budget Office back in April predict at minus 28% GDP print for Q2. The Atlanta Fed, Fed just predicted at negative 34.9%. And last night, Bank of America Merrill Lynch downgraded their previous negative 30% to a stunning negative 40% for the second quarter and a negative 13% for the year. For context, the GFC, the worst, worst recession since the Great Depression, saw just negative 4%. And it's almost identical to the negative 13.1% of the Great Depression. These are not numbers conducive to inflation, and certainly not numbers conducive to near record high share markets. For a laugh, the following photo has been doing the social rounds for a while, and speaks volumes to the complete disconnect before us. The Dow's best week since 1938. Yet more than 16 million Americans have lost their jobs in three weeks. But what about inflation, you ask? That's where the central banks and government stimulus come in. The above tells us the economy is effectively shut. Jobless nor corporates on their knees don't go spending or borrowing to expand. The massive and unprecedented amount of liquidity injected has literally had nowhere to go other than to only show in town and through US shares. As Fidelity International's Amit Loder posts, as we start reopening, this liquidity will exit the financial markets and make its way into the real economy, for which the Fed tethered this liquidity in the first place. Further, the true extent of the solvency problem will be apparent only once we reopen. Liquidity is under central bank control. However, solvency, the ability to pay off debt and interest costs, depends on the revenue and cash flow generation abilities of individual businesses once they exit this period and where that efficacy of measures and the health of the transmission mechanism will really be visible. I think there is a high probability that we'll get a classic buy the rumor, sell the fact, reopening trade. This is a complex mess and one without precedent. Ultimately, some facts seem irrefutable. Yet this is a forced, sharp shutdown. Not a gradual organic one, but it is much deeper than ever before and almost no one thinks it will rebound to previous levels for years. Initial deflation appears a natural consequence. That could turn into a debt deflation insolvency crisis. Financial markets are buoyed by debt-fueled and currency-debasing liquidity injections against a backdrop of fundamentally and deeply weak economic realities. The reaction to deflation will almost certainly be more stimulus, more new money by governments and central banks, negative interest rates, and likely helicopter money directly into the economy, not Wall Street. 
that inevitably turns to inflation and possibly hyperinflation, given the sheer scale of what will be added to an already unprecedented debt burden and money supply. Much of this is potentially baked in the cake, but yet to be fully revealed. In the myriad of options out there, gold and silver and potentially the new plan, Bitcoin, appear to be the only assets divorced from the embedded counterparty risk in every other asset. So where could this really end? If you haven't read the two-part articles by Ray Dalio's view, they must be read here and here in our comments. We'll place those links there for you. And that's news for today and this week. Thanks for joining Ainsley Bullion. Uh, you can always read all of our news articles via ainsleybullion.com.au. Um, and we'll catch you Monday. Enjoy your weekend.